The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. My name is Rich Tidwell. My wife and I are the founders of Legacy Housing, and we have planted local homes to prevent uh, youth homelessness and sex trafficking by providing free quality housing for at-risk, aged-out foster youth. And so my wife and I, we came across James 127, and God really got a hold of our hearts that we needed to start serving orphans and providing housing for them. And that's what we do full-time. We've been doing it for the last seven years. Something really cool I forgot to tell the first group uh, is that we just bought the new Legacy Boys Home. First time uh, gonna be able to house boys. We've been housing the ladies in Ormond and we bought it in Edgewater and we paid for it without debt because the Lord provided. Praise God. So the Lord is good. I know you guys have been going through the Bible, which is really exciting. And so when Jesse contacted me, he said, hey, you know, we're in Kings and Chronicles. And I said, oh, and he listed a few people and I knew it was Josiah that the Lord was gonna have me talk about. I, I saw a few of the prophets and a few others and I was like, no, it's gonna be Josiah because he's radical and I like radical guys. So if you're excited to get into the word this morning, say amen. Amen. Today's sermon is Josiah's Passover. And we're going to start off with the prophet Amos in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Now, Amos actually is during the time of King Uzziah between 760 to 750 BC. Uh, he's a little bit in advance of Josiah. He's about 130 years before him. However, he makes a prophecy about the time of Josiah leading up to Josiah's time. And it's Amos 8. 11. And I'm reading out of the NASB 1995, which I was really pleased to find out that's your preferred translation here, which I would argue actually is one of the best translations just because they use the fewest amount of English words to translate the Hebrew and the Greek. So good on you guys. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. Israel had been walking in disobedience. And so one of God's judgments upon them was that they would have a famine of hearing the word of God. And during this time period, it was about 130 years that they didn't have the word of God. Between Malachi and John the Baptist, it was about 400 years. They had another time where God wasn't speaking through the prophets. We had one, it's called the Dark Ages. It's when most people couldn't speak or read Latin. And as a result, most people did not have access to the word of God. And what you'll notice if you know anything about the Dark Ages and Christian history is society as a whole really went downhill. It really wasn't very good. And so we're very grateful to be Protestants because Luther comes along and he then translates the Bible into German, even though the Pope says, no, you can't do that. And then everybody starts translating into every language. And now we have a wonderful translation like the NASB 1995, my favorite. And so this is during a time of not hearing God's word. And what happens is they're already disobeying God, but they get progressively worse. Israel is split into two. It's now Israel and Judah. And by the time we get to Josiah, really only Hezekiah has been a good king in recent memory by the time of Josiah. And Hezekiah was an excellent king, but even Josiah is said to have turned to the Lord more, that no one turned to the Lord, repented with such enthusiasm as Josiah. And so we're going to read about his story today and specifically his Passover because Passover is coming up about two and a half weeks. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection on that Sunday. And what's interesting, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but Jesus is the Passover lamb. What did John the Baptist say? Behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. What did Paul say to the Corinthian church? Christ, our Passover lamb, 
has been sacrificed. So we're going to be looking at that today. But I want you to understand that in order to get to the fulfillment in Christ, we had this Exodus story and this journey where God tells Moses to practice the Exodus and they put the blood on the doorposts. And it's incredible because it was God's mercy upon them and the angel of destruction passed by and they weren't destroyed. But it was a foreshadowing of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to do for us. And what I find very interesting about Josiah is that when Josiah finds the book of the law, which we're going to read about, he changes his whole life and nation because he becomes devoted to what it says. And one of the biggest things he does is puts on the biggest Passover that anybody had seen thus far. Since the days of Samuel, nobody had had a better Passover. And what's interesting about that is Passover is all about Jesus. So really, he put on a Jesus feast during a revival in Israel. If that interests you, say amen. 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 So as punishment on Israel, the word of God has lost them for about 130 years until the reign of Josiah in 622 B.C., Okay, so Amos is during 760 to 750 BC, and then Josiah 622 BC, just around 130 years. Let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 through 3. I want to show you something about accountability, because Josiah, just like all of us, is accountable to God. Look at this, starting from verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. How many would want to be king or queen at eight years old? It's not a job I actually would want even now. I mean, could you imagine with the way the world is? I would like to get good things done, but boy, what a responsibility to eight years old. And it's because his father had been assassinated, so he was thrust to the throne. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so this is when he's 16 years old, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, he's now 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, or another translation might say Asherah poles, and the carved images and the molten images. He starts to learn about God eight years in. So he's 16 years old. He's a teenager. And then he starts to really get radical for God by the time he's 20. And that 20-year-old number actually matters because if you can turn over real quick or you can just listen, Numbers 32, 11, and 12, we see that the Israelites were counted as wicked and would die in the wilderness at 20 years old and older. And even though Israel has lost the book of the law, they still have a functioning priesthood. And thank God for the priests, because clearly the priests are the ones instilling at least some of the word of God, whatever's been remembered in the Talmudic, rabbinical, and, and Levitical writings. They are able to share that. But they've lost the official books of Moses. And so he is committed to God, but he doesn't fully know what's written. But he knows based on what the priests have told him that he's got to stop doing these things and stop allowing them in his nation. Now, what's interesting in Numbers, this is what it says, 11 and 12. Numbers 32, 11 and 12. None of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. And what you'll find as you do an Old Testament study, and it's great that you guys are walking through, pay attention to this, you'll notice that Israelites couldn't serve in the military till they were 
20. They weren't included in the census until they were 20. They didn't die in the wilderness unless they were 20 and older during that 40 years in the wilderness. There's multiple times that 20 is this moment in a person's life where they become responsible. And it's arguable that that's the age of accountability in scripture. I know scholars and theologians argue of what that age is, but I believe there's scriptural basis for 20 years old. And so we see Josiah at specifically 20 gets so serious about God that he starts destroying the high places. When you read all the details in Kings and in Chronicles, He even destroys the ones that no other godly king had done, that even Hezekiah hadn't destroyed. There were some that were regarded as maybe okay because obviously at these high places, they'd worship pagans. They'd sacrifice their children to Moloch and to Baal. They would do wicked things and divinations and all sorts of disgusting stuff. But they also, and sometimes people don't realize this, they would also worship Yahweh or Jehovah on those high places but he had not commanded them to do it there. Once the temple period had begun, once Solomon built the temple, worship was to be in Jerusalem at the temple, period. You're not to worship him at high places. You're not to just offer offerings wherever you want. You know, you read through Genesis and that's how it worked and there wasn't anything wrong with that. But once the temple was built, that was the place. And so Israel continued to persist, sometimes in really wicked sins like child sacrifice, and sometimes in sins that they didn't think were so bad, but they still were wicked in the eyes of God because it was disobedience. They were worshiping God, but in the wrong place. Isn't that interesting? So he puts an end to all of that. He starts to destroy those things. In fact, once he finds the book of the law, which we're going to read, he gets even more radical about it. And so we want to be mindful. Those of you who are young, maybe are teenagers, or you're 20 or older, even if we don't know precisely the age, and I would argue that it's 20, but even if we don't know precisely the age, I want you to look to Josiah and young men and women like him in the scripture and how he became devoted to God and to what God said and how he acted on what God had said. He didn't play games with God. He wasn't half-hearted in serving him. He was fully committed and he recognized that he was accountable before a holy God. Now, part of that act was his repentance. You'll see he tears his robes. He repents before God. Part of that act is repentance, of course, but his, the follow-up to repentance was his obedience and his action, right? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why? Because his commandments are good, And they bring life, not death. And this is why Jesus has given them to us. This is why the moral commandments even exist. So I encourage you, if the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart, you're young, you're at that age, listen, now's actually that decision period in your younger years. Get to know God's word. Get to know who he is. Begin to follow him and practice what he has called you to do. And you'll end up having a blessed life like Josiah has. You'll end up living a life that people are looking for, but is only found in seeking and following Christ and his word. Because Jesus is the word of God made flesh. We want to pursue the written word and also the word written in our hearts and the spirit dwelling within us. That's what brings revival. And so he's 20 years old. He recognizes his accountability and he's fully serving the Lord, but he doesn't have the word of God. And this is important to remember. Listen, a lot of people are in the equivalent state in their walk with God. What do I mean by that? You have a Bible. So technically and objectively, you physically have the word of God. 
but it sits on your bookshelf, your coffee table, and in that phone app, unopened, unread, undelighted in. And it's the exact same famine that Israel was in. In fact, it's even more disappointing because you physically have it. It's in your language and you're being deceived into ignoring it. And Jesus possesses the words of life. The disciples said to him, where will we go? You have the words of life. So I encourage you, Joshua 1.8 says, to meditate on God's law day and night, on his words, on what he has said day and night. Jesus said he's the manna from heaven. He's the bread of life. If you know the Exodus story, how often did the Israelites eat the manna in the wilderness? Every single day. It was seven days a week. And when Jesus says, I am the manna, I am what gives you life, what he's saying is take me in, commune with me, experience my word, have my word dwell richly in you every day. Do you eat every day? Right? Typically, unless you're fasting, of course. So if we eat every day, the idea behind daily eating is that it teaches us the importance of eating the word of God. Hallelujah. Jesus said, and he was quoting the Old Testament, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So don't be in a famine when you don't have to be. Open that word and get to know what God is saying. So important. And while you're young, make this part of your routine. I'll tell you just a little bit of my routine. I wake up, I have a little um, audio Bible on my phone, and then I have a little Bluetooth speaker, and I put it on during my entire morning routine and during my drive to whatever I'm going to do every single day. If I make a mistake and fail, I repent, but that's my daily. And I encourage you, listen, it changes my whole day. Because the first thing entering my mind is not the news, not politics, not Twitter, not social media, all the things that distract. It's God and his word and what he has said. Day and night, meditate on my word. Somebody here needs to hear this. To defeat pornography, you're going to need to listen to the word of God before you go to bed every night. And you will have victory over that addiction that's gripping you. If that's you, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. I had the same addiction, and it gripped me. And the way that I've been released is by hearing the Word of God daily, and especially at night before bed. Hallelujah. God delivers us. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to continue on. How does Josiah respond when the book of the law is found? We see this in 2 Chronicles 34, 14 and 15, it says this, when they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And then move on down to verses 18 through 21. It says this, moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. When he realized what God's word really said, his commitment level began to increase because he, right from this act, I want, to, I want you to understand the significance of this act. Okay, robes, royal robes, they're really nice, you know, 
fabric, probably linen, probably purple, very nice. And he takes them and he rips them and tears them. This is a demonstration of a few things. It's rending his heart before God. That's what that means. And it's also, I don't care about earthly possessions. I only care about you. And it's a real commitment to that. And he follows that up with, and we'll see at the Passover that he puts on, which is a feast which feeds Israel. In addition to what it represents spiritually, it does physically feed people, right? And so he gives an enormous amount of his wealth to put on this feast and feed the people of Israel, including the poor, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, and the stranger, the people who the tithe is meant to go to. He puts on this grand feast. And so what you see is this dramatic change. He begins tears his clothes and he begins giving things away. This is one of the first things we see him doing. And what's interesting is we see the early church do the exact same thing. If you go to Acts 2 and Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 specifically says that they did not consider their possessions their own, but they shared everything they had. Very interesting. And it says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, they sold land and houses and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So what we see with revival time and time again with Josiah, the early church, and any other time that it's occurred, it's a return to devotion of God's word, a daily devotion to God's word. And it's forsaking possessions for the sake of God and people. Because what is the greatest command? This is what he would have been learning now. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. It means listen, understand, obey Israel. Do this. This is important. And then in Leviticus, and Jesus equates that as being the second greatest or equal to, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. And what you find in Josiah and anybody who has a personal revival and then a communal revival is that they become devoted to God's word and there's no way for revival while there's a drought of God's word, whether in you or in the community. So we must dive into God's word deeply and cherish what's been given to us. Cherish the fact that the Protestants gave their lives in order to ensure that you could receive the word of God in your tongue today. And by cherishing that, what we'll do is we'll actually open it and read it, and hear it, and be in it, and it will change us. Jesus said in John 8, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You're truly my disciples if you hold to my teaching. You're truly my disciples if you hold to my teaching. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's his teachings that set a person free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so he tears his clothes. We continue on. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdin, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, uh, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book, which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord, which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. He recognized something. There was a generational issue. Something occurred, and they were inheriting bad doctrine. They were not fully devoted to the Lord. Even the ones who were serving the Lord were still burning at high places and doing things that they ought not be doing. And God was seeking through Josiah a cleansing, and Josiah responds to it first with his personal repentance and then with a national repentance. 
Now, I'm gonna share with something with you that I didn't have in my notes, but it came up in the first service and the Lord's reminding me. But I recently read just Pew Research. Uh, they're a Christian statistical organization giving us national and international statistics. And in one of their studies, they've determined this. Okay, so baby boomers generation. Very interesting, 70% of them identify as Christian. Pretty incredible. And a lot of that can actually be equated to what took place in that new movie, Jesus Revolution. I don't know if you've seen it, but where all the hippies were getting saved, right? That's actually my dad's generation. He's 69 and he's a pastor and he uh, was a hippie at the time and he was just doing drugs and living the hippie life, you know? And while there, are, there were benefits to it where they were like, you know what, we don't care about stuff, man. We wanna seek truth, you know? That sort of attitude, that's good, but they were seeking it through psychedelics and, you know, all that. And he came to know the Lord. He had heard the gospel during the revival that was sweeping across the whole country. And he had started, he started serving the Lord as a young man and he served him ever since the rest of his life. And so he's part of that 70%. Praise God for that group that responded to the gospel. And then we have Generation X after that. And Generation X declines a little bit. So we're at 70%. We decline to between 60 and 64%, about a 10% decline. And then we get to the millennials, which is me, and we're at 49% Christian. We're half. And then we get to Gen Z, and they're currently at 40%. And then projected estimates for Generation Alpha, Gen A, the next one is 30%, a complete flop from baby boomers to this next generation. We've gone from 70 Christian to 70 not Christian. Now I say that to you because that's the projected and revival can change that easily. God can change the entire face of the nation, but we have to recognize, listen, that the revival begins with those who are believers. The revival began with Josiah during this time in Israel's history. It started with him individually. He sought the Lord. He began to obey the Lord. He began to delight in the book of the law when it was found. And then he went and taught others. But it began with him. Revival always has to begin with you personally. If you are not making God's word the priority day and night in your life, the very words of life, the priority, how can you actually instill into the next generation to do so? See, God uses us as vessels of revival because his spirit is in us. But the scriptures say, quench not the spirit. In other words, there are things we can do like ignore God's word and live wickedly ourselves that lead to decline. Sure, the unbelievers might be doing worse things than us. We're going to the high place and worshiping the Lord our God, but it's not what he told us to do. We're still in disobedience. It might not be as bad as everybody else, but it's still disobedience. And in order for there to be revival, Josiah and the Israelites surrounding him, those of Judah, must also commit to the word of God, destroying the high places. And I'll tell you something I shared in the first. Our country led the way with abortion in the 70s. Pretty wild that that occurred at the same time. And if you know anything about the high places, you know that these were pagan areas, altars, and they would sacrifice their children to Baal and to Moloch. 
just like we do today. There's nothing new under the sun, just like Solomon said. There were children made in the image of God being killed en masse in Israel, a nation that is ought to be righteous. When you read our Constitution and Bill of Rights, we ought to be a righteous nation, shouldn't we? And yet since Roe v. Wade, there's been 60 plus million abortions of people created in the image of God. And here's what Josiah recognized that we need to recognize as well. He recognized that those places where that was happening needed to be destroyed, no matter how anyone felt about it. It was part of the revival. And the reason he knew this is because he knew now the word of God. And the word of God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So I believe in science regarding abortion and conception and all of that. And what I've learned is that when two people come together and a uh, egg is then fertilized, at conception, this flash of light occurs. I don't know if you've ever seen it. They filmed it. A flash of light occurs, and there's a new strand of unique human DNA separate from mom and dad right at conception. So scientifically, life begins at conception. You're having a moral discussion with the nation, not a scientific one. Don't let them trick you. Scientifically and objectively, life begins at conception. But I would make this religious and spiritual argument. And this is important so the devil doesn't deceive us as believers as well, because believers get deceived on this topic. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In other words, life and the sanctity of life begins in God's mind and heart before they're ever in a womb. And that's what gives life inherent value, is that God said, let there be life. That's why, because he knew you and me before he even knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us, delighted in us, and wanted us to exist. These lives are precious. And if we're going to see revival, this is one of the big sins of the United States that must be repented of. And who leads the repentance? It's Josiah. It's the righteous. It's Judah. It's the people of God who receive the word of God and accept it, repent, and obey it. And I'm telling you, what we need to see in the United States is absolute demolition of every Planned Parenthood and abortion facility that there is, and full funding for every single pregnancy crisis center that is available. So if you don't already, please support a local crisis pregnancy center. There's a number of them. A great one is Grace House Pregnancy Center. We've worked with them. And Legacy, we'll take in young moms who are pregnant on purpose because we love them, but we also love the baby that's in their womb and we don't want them to destroy that precious life. So Josiah saw this and valued this and repented of what Israel was doing. And this is where the change began. Look at this. Okay. So we're going to listen to Holdo's prophecy real quick. Second Chronicles 34, 27, and 28. So he inquires of a prophet. Holdo's a female, and she's a prophet during this time. And she says this, ladies, the Lord can speak through you. Look at this, 27 and 28. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. In other words, with the level of sincerity you have, I will give back to you, Josiah. 
With the earnestness and enthusiasm that you've had, I am hearing it and I'm gonna give it and render it back to you. I will be equally zealous in my support of you and what you're about to do. Hallelujah. So God hears zealous prayers. That's good news. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. In other words, God foreknows exactly what they're going to do in the future. But he says, your group, your generation, listen, you who are alive right now, you will be at peace and in my presence because you've delighted in my word. Hallelujah. So then Josiah, how does he follow up to this? What does he do? He does the same thing I'm doing right now. After he hears the word, he goes and tells other people what it says. And you don't have to stand on a stage to do that. This really is something we are all called to. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. It means that we're all preachers. We're all saints. The scriptures say you're all a royal priesthood. That was the idea. Even in Israel, they were meant to be, all of them, a royal priesthood. Of course, they had Levites, but they were supposed to all practice the priestly duties together. And that's what the church is meant to be. You are a royal priesthood. And so he goes and he teaches them. Second Chronicles 34, 30 through 31. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people from the greatest to the least. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in the book. And then in verses 32 and 33, it says that he had all of the Israelites or those in Judah do exactly the same. And so the whole nation committed. And their follow-up to this was to have the greatest Passover. And this is important. We're actually coming into that holy season. We're about two and a half weeks away from it. It's the first week of April is when Passover, that's when we have Resurrection Day. And then shortly after that, 50 days after Resurrection Day is actually Pentecost. What if I told you that each one of those align with Jesus's gospel narrative? We're gonna show you that real quick. 2 Chronicles 35, 16 through 18 says this. So all the service of the Lord was prepared on that day to celebrate the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. Thus the sons of Israel who were present celebrated the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. There had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet, nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he puts on the greatest Passover, which is a feast. And he literally lays, if you read the full context, he lays so much of his wealth and goods at the feet of God by offering them to this Passover. In other words, he doesn't care about stuff anymore. It's why he's destroying the wickedness. Listen, if you're ever gonna destroy the Planned Parenthoods, you have to be able to risk it all. You have to recognize that that's more valuable than the comforts of home, that it's more valuable that children have life than that I'm able to watch my TV show or sit on my couch. It's more important that people are valued and loved and that we show them that love than it is for me to entertain and distract myself. And so we have to have that personal revival. And the only way that it's going to come is just like Josiah, we must be in the word of God. 
And so what is Passover? Well, in the Old Testament, Passover is when they take the lamb, they sacrifice the lambs, and they put the blood on the doorpost. That was the first time in Exodus 12. It's followed up by the Feast of Unleavened Bread that actually occurs within the week of Passover. And it's that, that's found in Exodus 12, 15 through 20. And then the Feast of First Fruits, which is found in Leviticus 23, 9 through 14, followed by finally the Feast of Weeks, or as us Gentiles would call it, Pentecost, which is seen in Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. Now, here's what's amazing about it as we start to wrap this up. If you're receiving something, say amen. 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 The Mosaic Passover is given in approximately 1440 BC, and then it's fulfilled by Christ in approximately 31 AD. And so we have literally 1,500 years or so of people keeping Passover, not knowing what it was all about. And just like when Josiah heard the word of the Lord, maybe you've never heard what I'm about to share with you before, and this will change your whole life and perspective of what this resurrection day is all about. Listen, Jesus is crucified in the gospels on Passover as the Lamb of God on the day of Passover. Here's what's amazing about this when you see this in scripture. Jesus is being torn apart on the same day that the lambs are being torn apart. The exact same day that the priesthood is doing that. Caiaphas is actually doing his job. A lot of people are shocked when they learn this. Caiaphas is doing his job. The high priest is meant to make the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so he sacrifices Jesus, not knowing it, but he sacrifices Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the entire world. Not an offering that has to be made over and over and over annually by different priests at different times, but finally one sacrifice once for all as Hebrews teaches. Jesus does that for us and he does it on the day of Passover's preparation. Then... Listen to this. Jesus is in the grave on unleavened bread. I'm glad it's up there. He's in the grave on unleavened bread. Now, what's the distinct quality of unleavened bread? It has not yet risen. And so Jesus is put into the grave by God's sovereign will on unleavened bread as the bread of life that has not yet risen. Look at the meaning. And what's amazing about this is, and I've gone to a number of seders. We usually put one on annually ourselves. We put on a Gentile version. But if you've ever gone to a Hasidic a seder, a traditional seder, what you realize is that sadly, the modern Jew does not understand the fulfillment of Passover. It's only the Exodus story, which is beautiful and historical. And God did those miracles. But the true fulfillment you Gentiles get to know. This is why Paul was so upset in the book of Romans, because he wanted his kin to know these things and they were rejecting it. But you are receiving it, that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that Jesus is the unleavened bread. And look at this. Jesus resurrects on first fruits. He is the first fruits of salvation and the resurrection. He resurrects on a feast day. It wasn't actually some sort of new day that God created. God had already instituted the Feast of First Fruits. And on First Fruits, what you would do is give the first best of your harvest for that year to God. And Jesus is the first best offering of the resurrection. And we are the harvest that comes after. So he resurrects on First Fruits as the first fruits of salvation. 
And then get this, the Holy Spirit is sent, not at some random time, but at Pentecost. What that means is Feast of Weeks. He's sent 50 days after first fruits. It aligns perfectly with what God had already instituted. This is why there's so many nations in Jerusalem on the day the Holy Spirit is received and they start speaking all these foreign languages. It's because all the Jews and people who wanted to keep Passover and then after that, 50 days later, wanted to keep the Feast of Weeks were in town. Great time for a revival. Everybody's in town. It's NASCAR race week. Everybody's here. And we receive the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Weeks on the day. And they speak the word of God to everyone there. God aligned all of this. And Josiah saw the value of Passover in his revival. And I encourage you to see the value of this as we get closer, to really devote yourself to God's word, to his service, and to understanding the depth of meaning and how God has never done anything arbitrarily, whether that's form a person in the womb, there's no mistakes, whether that's have Jesus sacrificed on the day of Passover or resurrected on first fruits or send the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Weeks. All of it is done by his sovereign will. He has everything under control. And when you put trust in him, you get to get into what I'm talking about here, where God hears Josiah's prayer and says, I'll be with you. I'm listening. That's good news. And so as we wrap this up, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8 says this. Paul's speaking to the Gentiles. and He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us be a people who keep the feast, which we do, but remember its meaning. It's all about Jesus. And remember that we're to do it in sincerity like Josiah, in the truth of the word of God, both believing and doing what God has said. Lamentations 2.6 says this. This is after Josiah. This is while Israel's in Babylon. They forget the Passover and the Sabbath. And it says this, and he was violently treated. He has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and Sabbath and Zion. And he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. Part of the judgment on Israel after Josiah was that they would forget what Josiah learned. And I encourage you today not to forget what we've heard, but to remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Be a people, like James warns, be a people that hear and do, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be a people that Jesus is not merely savior and fire insurance, but is Lord. Because we've confessed him as both Lord and savior. He forgives me of my sins and then he commands me in the right way to live. Why? Because if I don't follow him, we end up killing our young. We end up doing wickedness. We end up 
worshiping him in ways that he didn't ask. We end up doing evil in his sight. But if we obey him and trust him, we are blessed is what the scriptures say, because his ways are good. The scriptures say, ask for the ancient paths that you may walk in them. And so as we enter into Passover, I encourage you to remember who the true Passover lamb is and how revival truly starts. It starts with us this Passover when we dedicate our lives to God's word and to loving him and loving neighbor. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for sharing your word with us. Thank you for showing us and giving us examples like Josiah, radical believers in your word who were willing to go the distance. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us the same Holy Spirit fire, that we would be eager and enthusiastic, not only to read, but to do what you have said so that we may see revival in this nation. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us in every area that we have fallen short. And we ask that you would give us every tool we need in order to take back the United States with the gospel. And that we would see Generation Alpha and all other generations increase in their faith. That we would not see the country flip from 70-30 for Christian to against Christians. But that we would see an increase of 100% of the people, just like there was in Judah, serving you. May there be another revival even greater than the one in the 70s. And it begins with us. In Jesus' name. All that agreed said. Amen. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Thank you for having me.